that is a fruit that abounds to our account and praise the Lord for his work over there. So just wanted you to hear that. <clears throat> I have a couple other things. Hopefully I'll remember to mention them at the end uh, once we're done with the live stream um, that I want to share with you as well. Okay. All right. Matthew chapter six. And I want you to look at verses 19 down through verse 21 with me. The Bible says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I'm going to talk to you this afternoon about where is your treasure. And the Bible says where your treasure is, there will your heart be be also. And if we were to study out all the passages in Scripture that instruct us either directly or indirectly uh, to spend time thinking on and pursuing after eternal things, uh, we, we probably would really be amazed. Let me just give you a couple. John chapter 6 verse 27 says, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. The admonition is don't work for the temporal thing that's going to vanish away. Labor for the eternal thing. Philippians 3.20 says, For our conversation or our lifestyle is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And the Apostle Paul's admonition is, this life is not really what it's about. Our, our conversation, our life is actually in heaven, from whence we look for our Savior. This is a temporary place. Colossians 3.1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. He says, if you're saved uh, and you know the Lord, uh, this old life has passed away. He says, seek those things which are above then. And then he says, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And so, in just these few passages of Scripture, I would start the message this, more, or this afternoon by asking this question. How much time do you spend thinking and pursuing after eternal things? Do you think you spend as much time as you ought to on eternal things. There's an author whose name is Randy Alcorn. He wrote a book called In Light of Eternity. And he believes that the lack of heavenly thought or pursuing among God's people is a serious problem. And he said this, he said, the greatest weakness of the Western church today is arguably our failure to think about the long tomorrow, to take seriously the reality that heaven is actually our home. Out of this springs our love affair with this world and our failure to live now in light of eternity. 
the failure on the part of God's people to presently live in light of eternity. There was an old Puritan preacher who commented on the value of being heavenly-minded. And he said this, There is no need that the inhabitants of earth should remain so little acquainted with heaven. There is a ladder, such as Jacob saw, by which they may ascend and descend every hour. We ought daily in our thoughts to visit that delightful land and to make excursions through its glorious regions. The more we accustom ourselves to these flights, the easier they will become. Why is it that we feel so little the impression of eternal glory? But because our thoughts are no more conversant with heaven. It is of the utmost importance that we should become more familiar with that blessed country. It would tend to wean us from this poor world, to support us under the trials of life and delay of our hopes. To be illumined with the light of that land would save us from fear and transform us into the likeness of its inhabitants. It would reconcile us to the self-denials and labors which we have here to endure for Christ. If you understand what he's saying is that if we were more heavenly-minded and more conversant with the reality of what uh, our future is as God's people, it would actually help us and save us in the trials that we walk through in this life. Because we would recognize how temporal and how temporary these things really are and how, how, uh, how they... Uh, so impact our life right now when they don't need to because of the reality of what our future is. That's what he's talking about here. To be more familiar would actually wean us from this poor world. It would support us under the trials of life and the delay of our hopes. To what degree does eternity influence the way that you live? Does it affect your thoughts? Does it affect your actions? In the face of the prospect of death, the Apostle Paul said this in Philippians 1.20, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul said, it's according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I'm going to be ashamed. I know where my future is. I know the promise the Lord has given me. I'm not going to be ashamed. And so whether it's by life or whether it's by death, Christ is going to be magnified in my body. The trials I face, Christ is going to be glorified. He said, I would rather be with Christ. That is far better. But for you, maybe it's more necessary that I stay for now. But either way, the focus of the Apostle Paul was eternity. It wasn't temporal life. I asked the question, to what degree does eternity influence the way you live? Does it affect your thoughts? Does it affect your words? Does it affect your attitudes? 
Does it affect your actions? More specifically, to what extent do thoughts of eternity motivate us in the way that we live towards pleasing the Lord? Because when we are temporal-minded and we live uh, with a temporal viewpoint, that is not something that is actually pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes we want to please self or other people more than we want to please God. And that is an indicator of a very temporal value system, not an eternal value system. So I want to take a couple of these passages, even that I already read or quoted to you, and I want to unpack them just a little bit. And then we're going to look at some life instances where living with eternity in view is very vital. And I think that prayerfully there'll be some encouragement for you along the way. As I said this morning, one of the things that happens to God's people when we have a very temporal mindset and we walk through trials of life, the thing that we lose is our joy when there's no need to. Because heaven is our home. This is very temporary. And even in the trials, we have the tools that God is giving to us, the peace of God, that we can walk through life's trials still full of joy because we know what's coming. So I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and this is the first passage that we'll look at. We want to unpack these, some of these verses here a little bit again and then look at some life instances as well and make some applications. Let's pray and then we'll begin. Heavenly Father, would you challenge us and encourage us through your word? Lord, I also desire that you would be lifted up, that you would be magnified. Lord, that our thoughts would be pointed toward you and that you would receive glory in it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Colossians 3 and verse 1 The Bible says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. In verse 1, the Bible says, Seek those things which are above. We're talking about living with eternity in view. We're talking about where our real treasure is because that's where our heart is. And the Word of God admonishes us here. If we're saved people, we ought to, first of all, seek those things which are above. The word seek is a singular Greek verb, and it means to strive for It it talks about earnestness. It talks about uh, energy given to this striving. It's also given to us in the present tense. And what that means is it indicates a continuous action. Okay? So the, 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 the admonition is to seek those things which are above, to strive for eternal things earnestly with energy, and it's a continual action. In other words, there's not really a time when it should stop. As Christians who've been resurrected with Christ, we are to habitually preoccupy ourselves 
with heavenly things, heavenly realities, not temporal things. And, and there are times in our life, and I, I, I am ashamed to say my own, and I suppose it probably could be said uh, across, quote, Christianity, even in good Baptist churches, that there are people who, who love this temporal world, who love the praise of men more than the, the praise of God, who, who love the satisfaction of pleasing self more than pleasing God. And it's a shame, because what a cheap substitute that is for what God has in store for His people. Seeking those things that are above, earnestly striving continually, then, is a mindset that needs to be cultivated by God's people. A mindset that our interests are focused on Christ, our thoughts are focused on Christ, our works, our ambitions, our entire outlook of life is to be centered on the heavenly realm where Christ is the one who rules and reigns and where our life truly is. Our life is hid with Christ in God. That means that this temporal world is not where our life is. Living to please Christ therefore, will be far more important to us than striving to please self in this temporal world. So he says, seek those things which are above, a continuous action uh, that is earnest in our endeavor to set then, verse 2, notice it, set your affections on things above not on things on the earth. That phrase, set your affection, it, it literally means to exercise the mind. And so not only should we seek those things continually which are above, we also must then think on those things that are above. You follow this? So it's to exercise the mind. So not only seek after those things, but then to think on those things that are above. To set your affection on something is to love it, to be attentive to it, to desire it, to long for it, to delight in it. To set my affection means to desire, to long, to delight after this thing. We often will develop affections for people, amen, and that's not wrong. We have good friends we have people that we love, that we set our affections on, that we develop affection for. How do we do that? We do that often by the amount of time that we spend around them, learning them and understanding them, and my affection then grows. We have affection for that which is temporal when we constantly fill our minds with that which is temporal. You follow this? Our affection for the temporal thing grows when we constantly fill our mind with that which is temporal. What happens then when there are things in this life that we don't get to experience that we've so greatly desired because my affection has been put on that? You follow what I'm asking, what I'm saying? What happens to us? I've longed for this. I've set my affection on this. I have delighted in this. And it's something I'm longing for, but I don't get to experience that thing 
that I've so greatly desired, what often happens? Well, there could be anger that is developed. There could be discontentment with life because I'm not getting the expectation that I have. There can be feelings of hopelessness. There can be feelings of bitterness against God or against other people because I'm not getting this thing that I have set my affection on. Why? Because our affections are merely toward the temporal things and not the eternal. And what this verse is telling us to set our affections on things above is that by the grace of God, we need to exercise our mind toward and train our mind to think about and long for and delight in the things that are actually of true value. Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. We talked about this this morning. Be full, don't be full of care and worry and anxiety in things of this life. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. The question, friend, is what do you fill your mind with? Because what you fill your mind with is directly related to the peace that we experience in this life, or no peace that we have. Are you following this? Give me some feedback here. What do you think about? What do you fill your mind with? Because it is directly related to whether or not you have peace in this life. Paul said you think on these things, you put your mind on these things, and the peace of God is going to be with you. These things that you've learned and heard and seen and do, and the God of peace will be with you. So if you are experiencing a time in life where there is no peace and there's turmoil and there's anxiety and there's fear and there's depression and there's hopelessness and there's all these other things, guess what, friend? You need to set your mind on different things. It's directly related to the peace that we experience. You got negative thoughts? You think on the lies that we can tell ourselves? Do you have self-defeating thoughts? All of these things relate to no peace in life. It leads into, like I said earlier this morning, putting ourselves in a rut or getting into a funk because I keep thinking these things over and over and over and over again. I overthink things, and it leads to no peace, and it's just bleh. That is not where God wants us to be. And what we need to do 
is learn to exercise the mind toward and train our thoughts towards the things that are actually of true value. We need to fill our mind with the Word of God. We need to continually saturate our mind and our life with the right kinds of things. Like, for example, um, just listening to good, encouraging, godly music has a way of blessing the soul. Sometimes the temptation would be, well, because I want entertainment, I'm going to fill my mind with temporal music. And I'm going to listen to, you know, temporal things or whatever, and, or I'll read, uh, you know, fiction books. There's nothing wrong with reading fiction, by the way. But we need to, we need to actually, if, if our, if what I'm saying is, like if our, our diet is, is steady, of temporal things, our mind is being filled with temporal things, we're going to live on a temporal plane. That's where our affection is going to be. And we have no hope. We have no resource then for when the trial comes. We have no resource then for, for when the trouble comes. Because the Word of God says, think on these things, the true things, the, the right things, uh, the, the just things. Think on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You fill your mind with the promises of God's Word, not with the lies from your head. You, you saturate your life with music that, that will exalt the Lord and talk about the promises of God and, and our future glory and, and magnifying the Lord. It has a way of speaking to the soul that can heal the soul. And it helps us to set our affections on things above and not on things on the earth, which is very helpful, friend, and I'm going to say it, and hear me well, it is very helpful when it comes to dealing with this life. And when I say this life, I'm going to put it in quotes, because man that is born of woman is of a few days and full of trouble. Dealing with this life that is full of trouble. Especially when the Bible tells us this world is not our home, and our days here are few. Our affliction is actually light, but it actually works for us a far more eternal weight of glory if we have the right perspective. So, with that in mind, what are some situations where being heavenly-minded becomes so valuable? Well, we should be heavenly-minded all the time, continually, as our text says. But if you go back and look at the context of some of these passages, it actually gives us some really good insight into the circumstances in which we would most benefit and the circumstances in which these were written. And having an eternal value system becomes so critically important in these situations. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to read here Paul's or Peter's admonition to these saints. The saints that he's writing to are strangers who are scattered about. They were scattered about because of persecution for their faith. These were people who 
were in the midst of suffering. That's the context in which Peter writes. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom... Though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. The first thing that I want to point out to or situation where having a heavenly mindset becomes so valuable is when we're facing trials in life. In the middle of trial, having a heavenly value system or mindset becomes so critical. Trials of life actually prepare us for glory. Our faith is like gold, even though it's more precious than that to God. And the, the illustration that is being given here is that when, when ore is pulled out of the ground, the gold-bearing ore, it has impurities in it. Those impurities need to be burned off in order to produce something of more value. And so what they do is they put fire to the gold. And the heat is turned up. And what it does is it brings those impurities to the surface so they can be removed and it can be something of more value. Well, trials are often the fire that God uses to purify our faith. Let me ask you the question. Are you going through a trial? I dare say the answer is yes. I know this for a fact with some of you. I know it's true for me. Are you going through a trial? Is God trying to do something in you? to work in you, to purify you through your trial? Have you thought about that? Or have you been very focused on the trial itself? Have you been very focused on the circumstance which has then caused you to become weary or caused you to become doubtful or caused you to lose your joy? And you're walking around in a rut. You're walking around in a mood. You're living in a mood all the time. Why? Because the focus is on the trial and not on what is God actually trying to do in you through the trial. Is God trying to grow you? Is he trying to purify your faith? The question 
then is how are you responding? How are you responding? Now notice verse 6. Verse 6 of 1 Peter says, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Those are adverse experiences. But notice that he says, you greatly rejoice. Rejoice in what? We rejoice in the fact that we're kept through the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Praise the Lord. We rejoice in that. Even though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptation. You understand what's happening here? The trial is not fun. The trial isn't easy. And sometimes it can bring heaviness into the life. But that is something completely different from the joy that we experience in the Lord. We can have joy in our life in the midst of the trial. He says you greatly rejoice even though you are in a season of trial. Is that how you're responding? I don't respond that way so often. Notice verse 8. Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Listen, one of the very first things that people lose in the trial of life or the trial that they go through is the joy that they can experience in the Lord. And when the joy of the Lord, which is to be our strength, is gone, what does it produce? It produces a lot of boo-hoos. Woe is me. Woe is my situation. It produces a feeling of hopelessness, a feeling of lostness. What's the point? I can't even with these trials. And what am I doing? And we become completely disconnected from reality, what is really valuable. And we live on this temporal plane of sulking or feeling sorry or hurting. Why, why do we lose our joy? The reason we do is because we don't have an eternal viewpoint that we are actually seeing things from. We have a very temporal viewpoint that we're looking at things with. Now notice verse 7 because here's the eternal perspective. He says that here's the eternal perspective. The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He said, what is happening right now in your life and the trial that you're going through, even though it brings heaviness, we don't have to lose our joy, and we don't have to lose our joy because we have this eternal perspective that what is happening right now is preparing me to be found unto the praise and honor and the glory of Jesus Christ when He appears. It's maturing me in my faith. So whether the trial is suffering affliction, 1 Peter 4 and verse 12 says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. He says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of the sufferings of Christ, 
that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So Peter says to the people who are experiencing persecution and suffering, he says, don't think it's some strange thing. No, you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus. You're going to suffer persecution. Instead, rejoice in this. Because the Lord is doing something in your life. I think that there's, there's an element. The Lord is doing something in our church. There's a lot of things that are going on with different people in different stages. And the Lord is trying to do something in our church. A lot of it has to do with spiritual growth and maturity. God wants you to grow. To not be the same as you were. And he's continually trying to purify us. And so often it is through trial that he does that. Now, how are you responding to it? With hopelessness? With woe is me? With discontentment? Or are you looking at it through heavenly glasses, if you will, eternal perspective, that this is actually something good that God is doing because he is trying to purify my faith, to make me more like him, and that he will be glorified at his appearing in my life. Big difference. Big difference in the perspective. We get stuck in the rut. We get stuck in the blahs. And I don't care. And what's the point? That's not where the Lord wants us to be. And we need to look with a different set of eyes. Amen? Amen. When Paul himself faced suffering, he didn't look at the circumstance. He looked to the future. In 2 Timothy 1 and verse 12, he says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. His perspective was eternal. His focus was future. So whether it's suffering affliction of trial, whether it's facing persecution in life, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 and verse 22, Blessed are ye when men shall hate you, and when they shall they say all manner, or excuse me, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast you out, uh, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. And then he says, Rejoice ye in that day, and leap for joy. Why? For behold, your reward is great in heaven. Eternal perspective. For in like manner did their fathers unto the prophets. So Jesus says you're blessed if men hate you. They separate you from their company. They reproach you. They cast out your name as evil for the Lord's sake. He says, don't worry about it. Rejoice in that and leap for joy. Why? Because your reward is great in heaven. It's far beyond what's happening right now. I've experienced this, and actually currently, <laughs> to be honest, currently experiencing this. Once long-held 
sweet relationships can become severed, not because of any necessarily wrongdoing on my part or your part, but for whatever reason, those once close relationships are not so close anymore and you're reproached and you're removed out of people's company. For what? Well, is it hurtful? Yeah. Is it sad? Yeah. Is it somewhat distressing? Yes, it is. But Jesus said rejoice and leap for joy because your reward is great in heaven. I want to be more loyal to Christ than to people. It's all a matter of perspective. And what is happening in the moment is actually for the praise and the glory of Jesus Christ. Keeping that eternal viewpoint, seeking those things which are above, even when facing trial, not only makes it easier to endure, but enables us to even experience joy in the middle of it. How are you responding? Now look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here's another real life situation when having an eternal perspective becomes very vital. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love His appearing. Having an eternal perspective becomes very valuable when we face the reality of death. Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand. When he thought about dying or leaving this earthly house, what did he look forward to? Well, he looked forward to what awaited him. Notice what he says in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want you to see the eternal perspective here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that which we, we, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. 
We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You see Paul's eternal perspective here? He says, in verse 1, we know that our earthly house of this tabernacle, if it were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he says, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. He's talking about a glorified body there. Even in the reality of death, Paul referring to his impending death, his departure at hand, his thought process was eternal. The reality of death, that can be scary, but it shouldn't be for the child of God. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. There's deliverance, amen, in Christ. And the writer of Hebrews says, People all their lifetime were subject to bondage because of the fear of death. Fear enslaves. Just the fear of possibly dying causes people to make decisions that are not pleasing to the Lord. I think we saw a lot of that during COVID. The fear of death caused a whole lot of people to make decisions that are not actually pleasing to the Lord. Whether it's our own death or the death of a loved one living with eternity in view and embracing the promise of God enables us to see the reality of death from the right perspective, which is what? Well, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 13, But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe in Jesus that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also, also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. And he goes on to talk about how that the Lord Himself is going to descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and we're going to be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then he says at the very end of that, he says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to talk about one more life circumstance where having an eternal value system becomes so vital. And that is when facing disappointments about life. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, 
but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The truth is we're going to face some disappointments in life. And they can be devastating if we don't have the right perspective. Looking at just the circumstances of life can be very, very discouraging. The rewards of this temporal life are actually very few. We work so hard to bring about contentment. We work so hard to bring about happiness for ourselves in this life. But the reality is the rewards of this temporal life are actually very few. According to Solomon, he says a good meal, some good relationships, and the satisfaction of a job well done or labor is about it. That is about the, the extent of the rewards of this life. The problems come when we are looking for satisfaction for our life from something that is here, something that is temporal. The real reward for the child of God is not even in this life, but in the next and we can become very discouraged and disappointed with unrealized expectations when our, our focus is so temporal and not eternal. And one of the best cures for discouragement is a heavenly focus. Paul warned the Corinthians. He said, don't, don't throw in the towel on your faith. The things that are temporal in this life, they're just that. They're temporal. Notice what he says. He says, Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. So the, that's temporal. The affliction is temporal. It's but for a moment. But it does have eternal weight. And then he says in verse 18, While we look not at the things which are seen. What are the things that are seen? All the trials. All the circumstances. Don't look at the circumstance. Don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Look at the eternal value. Look at the promise of God. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Having an eternal focus is the key. So when you're in the middle of the trial, and you got all these negative thoughts going on, or these fears and these doubts going on, We've got to remember that that's very temporal. God has something He's wanting to do in me. I don't have to lose joy in this. I don't have to walk around feeling hopeless. I don't have to feel the blahs all the time. No, I can look at not the circumstance, but at the eternal value. And what is God wanting to do? And now I can respond in a way that is actually spiritually valuable and helpful. Jesus said, Lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. There's the eternal perspective. If you value eternal things, it becomes a whole lot easier to overcome the struggles of this life if you value eternal things. That's not always easy. It still requires effort. It requires time. 
it requires restructuring of our thoughts so that we're motivated by loving the Lord more than anything else. And we need God's grace to do all of that for you. If you've been in a situation where you have had, you've been in a rut and you have felt all the blahs and you've not had joy in your life and you're in the middle of a trial, the first step is to confess that to the Lord Ask the Lord to give you His grace. Ask the Lord to help you love Him more than anything else with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all of your strength. And ask Him to help you begin to set your affections on things above. It might be difficult to admit. It might be difficult to change. But in the end, when we stand before God, it's going to be worth it all. And it's going to be a whole lot easier to navigate through this life, too. Don't be downcast. Amen? Amen. Have an eternal perspective. And we'll see that all of this is just for a moment. But God is actually using it to make me better. That's what we should want. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us with these thoughts and principles, and to live in victory. To not live in fear or doubt or a lack of joy in life and without purpose or meaning, but to cultivate and learn to cultivate a heavenly mindset, to set those affections on things above, to have the eternal perspective, to think on the things that are actually of true value. And Lord, may we not be people who live defeated or discouraged, but recognize the hand of God in it all and with anticipation and cooperation, wait for what you're going to do. Bless your people, encourage them with these principles and these truths in Jesus' name. Amen.